We have been going through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. And that life and ministry here on earth is going to be over in a few months. Um, so we, in that in between time, he will be teaching significant portions to the crowds, mostly in parables. Uh, we will see after the um, triumphal entry that John will spend about two-thirds of his book on that last week. And so um, there's still significant teaching, still significant things happening. But at this particular point, it's winter, and it's time for Jesus to re-enter Jerusalem. So in John chapter 10, starting with verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 22, it says this, At that time the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple uh, in the portico of Solomon. Now the feast that they're talking about is what we commonly call Hanukkah. It's the Feast of Lights. It's the time when Israel celebrates that when the oil in the temple should have run out, that a miracle took place and it lasted for longer than the oil was supposed to. And so at this time, Jesus is there in Jerusalem as a part of that festival. Now, he wasn't required to go. The only time uh, Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem was at Passover, at um, Pentecost, and at uh, Booth. Uh, but Jesus also comes to Jerusalem at this time. And it says, The Jews gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, I'm going to be very harsh. He's in Jerusalem. This is not the first time he's been in Jerusalem. He has done things like, say, is it easier to tell a person who is a paralytic to rise up and walk or to say that your sins are forgiven? And Jesus says, so that you might know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to say, arise and walk. Who has authority to forgive sins? God. Jesus has been constantly stating to everyone that will listen that not only is he the Christ, he's God. But they keep asking the question, and I don't think they're asking it for information's sake. I don't think they're asking it to acquire faith. They're asking it to respond the way they're going to respond. Now, Jesus gives them a greater answer than I think that they are anticipating. So they say, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. I already told you, but you didn't believe. I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. So Jesus says, I have made a statement as to who I am, but the works that I do testify to who I am. And so when there is more than two testimonies, 
you must take it as true. And there have been other testimonies. The Father has testified. The Spirit has testified. John the baptizer has testified. Others have testified that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep. So Jesus gives them the reason that they're not answering and they're not understanding. Because they're not his. They're not his sheep. He is the good shepherd, but he's not the good shepherd of all sheep. He's the good shepherd of his sheep. And because they do not hear his voice, they are not his sheep. As it was discussed earlier in this chapter, although it was at a time earlier than this, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus says, I know who my sheep are. You're not. My sheep, who I know, hear my voice. And not only do they hear my voice, they follow me. It's not an exercise in intellect. It's not an exercise in emotion. It's an exercise of discipleship. I follow him because I hear his voice. And not only do they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. He does two things. He says, I give them eternal life. And I say this, and I will say it over and over as long as I have breath to say it. Eternal life is not life, death, and then life. It is eternal. When we, as the scriptures say, sleep, die. We do not die. We have our bodies rest. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We never die. We have eternal life. And not only do we have eternal life, it follows up, and they will never perish. Now, if you remember Jesus' teaching that we discussed last week, he goes, you suppose that people who suffer bad things maybe are worse than everybody else. The truth is, everyone needs to be repenting. And he goes, and if you don't, you will perish similarly. And Jesus says, those who are his sheep never perish. Not only do we have eternal life, we never perish. And then he says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So he gives them an example. He says, they are placed in my hand, and I've got it clenched, and no one can take them from me. Not only do I give them eternal life, and not only do they follow me, and not only do they not perish, but they are eternally secure in my hand. No one, not man, not Satan, not all of hell itself can take you out of his hand. My father who has given them to me, 
is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So Jesus is saying, I have my sheep in my hand. My Father has my sheep in his hand, and nobody can take them out of my Father's hand because my Father is greater than everyone. So talk about eternal security. You see, the problem is when we think we can hold on to eternal life, we fool ourselves. But when we trust that Jesus and the Father hold on to our eternal security, then we are eternally secure. It is not who is holding on to who, but it's him holding on to us. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snap them out of my father's hand. And then he says, I and the father are one. Now, Jesus is insane in this statement, I'm equal with God. He's saying, I am God. I'm not co-equal with the Father. I am the Father. So I want to give you a equation. Hopefully that you'll remember it. Especially those of you who like math. And you might want to look at S+. Plus. I plus the Father are one. One plus one equals one. I'm going to give you even more complicated formula that I would call the Trinitarian formula. God the Father, one. God the Son, two. God the Holy Spirit, three. One plus one plus one equals one. Or the, he has taught us all the way back in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, how this one God has three different persons, I won't touch because I'll become a heretic as soon as, soon as I try to explain it. I just do know, just as people know that the quadratic formula works, the Trinitarian formula works. One plus one plus one equals one. Jesus, again, is not saying I'm like God. He's not saying I'm co-equal with God. He is saying I and the Father are one. We're together. It's us. Now, again, in our human mind, it's a little difficult. Because Jesus, when he was here, taught his disciples, well, how do we pray? And he says, we're to say, our Father who art in heaven. Well, where was Jesus? He was standing next to him. How it works, as people frequently say, it's above my pay grade. I can't explain it. One of the reasons I suspect that the Trinity is truly true, because man cannot come up with the area that you have three persons, each having a face, if you will, to the world. God the Father. Everything we can know about God the Father is reflected in God the Son. 
And God the Holy Spirit speaks of God the Son. He does not call attention to Himself. So the Godhead, the Trinity, works together in within itself. But Jesus isn't just a God or co-equal with God. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You see, that was what they wanted to hear all along. They didn't want to hear, because if it's true, they would have to respond. But they want him out of action. So there's no consideration of what Jesus has taught. There's no consideration of his testimony of his works. It's simply, we do not believe, therefore we will stone you. And Jesus answered them, I show you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? So Jesus interrupts their efforts to stone him by saying, okay, well, what have I done wrong? I have done good works, but not only just good works, not only I, you know, went to hospitals and, and fed the poor or whatever, says I've done the works of my father. So which of those are you stoning me for? And Jesus answered him, I'm, I'm sorry, and the Jews answered him, for good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself out to be God. You see, they catch it. They didn't say, hey, God. They didn't say, they said, you make yourself out to be God. Well, if he is, then it's not blasphemy. He's speaking truth. So rather than considering what he has taught and what he has done, they simply say, because you're a man, you can't be God, and we're going to stone you. And Jesus answered them. Now, Jesus, here's, here's a secret. Never get in a scriptural debate with Jesus. Just don't do it. Because he wrote it. So he knows it. Backwards, forwards, and in between. He knows what it says. He knows what it means. And so Jesus says this. Has it not been written in your law? Okay, you're the ones who are supposed to follow this law. So hasn't it been written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God come and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. Now, you might say, well, that's interesting. I don't quite get what Jesus is saying. They know quite well, or they should know. Because the quote that Jesus is quoting comes from Psalms 82. Now, I'm going to read Psalms 82 for you because it is going to put them in their place. Psalms 82 says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. God, Jesus, 
takes his stand in his own people, in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Jesus is saying, you show partiality. You look for the benefits, you hypocrite, but you do not judge correctly. Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Exactly what Jesus is doing. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundation of the earth are shaken. There's a contrast. God is in the midst of his congregation, and you are doing unjust things and are walking in them. I said you are gods, and all of you are the sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Jesus is saying, just because you are Abraham's offspring and can be called sons of God, you are going to die like everyone else because you're not mine. And because you're not my sheep, you're not in my hand, you're not in my father's hand, and we are standing in the midst of you. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. You see, God is not just the God of Israel. God is the God of all the world because he is the creator of everything. And so Jesus is saying, the sons of God are the people who follow God, not the people who claim to be born genetically. And he says, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Jesus is saying, if you're having trouble wrapping your head around what I'm saying, see what I'm doing. And that will tell you who I am. And that can be said of us today. If you can't quite wrap your head around who Jesus is, then see what Jesus did. Jesus taught as one having authority. Jesus forgave sins as one having authority. Jesus healed the sick and the diseased as one having authority. Jesus cast out demons as one having authority. And Jesus shows who he is by his ministry, by healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and preaching good news to those who are weak and poor. But we have one advantage at this particular moment they did not have for us to believe his works. And that is called the resurrection. 
You may have problems wrapping your head around whether Jesus is the Son of God. You just have, have to answer one question. Did he rise from the dead? Now, there are those who say, well, we're not even quite sure Jesus was alive or whatever, and we don't know about the resurrection and all that. That history has so little, there are over 45 people who wrote about the historical Jesus within the time of the historical Jesus. There were 500 who saw him resurrected. The disciples who cowered in fear after seeing the resurrected Jesus were happy to be beaten and abused and tortured and persecuted for his name's sake. There are those who did not live in Jerusalem at the time and heard what Jesus did, and they gladly suffered torture and burning at the stake and beheading and all these things because they experienced the risen Savior. If Jesus rose from the dead, then it is the most important fact of all time. And if he didn't, it's unimportant. As once someone said, either it's magnanimously important or minimally important because of culture, but it's not moderately important. He either rose from the dead or he didn't. You may have trouble understanding we Christians. You may have difficulty saying, well, we're a bunch of hypocrites. Guilty as charged. But I'm not asking you to follow me. I'm not asking you to follow my teaching. I'm asking you to look at the works of Jesus and follow him. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. For you see, it was Hanukkah. It wasn't Passover. The plan of the Father was for Jesus to die at Passover. That was the plan, not from the day Jesus was born, but before God ever said, let there be light. The plan was that. And so because it was not yet his time, he simply eluded their grasp. And he went away and be beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there. So Jesus goes where John's ministry kind of started off and where he was baptizing, and he went across the river. And many came to him. So Jesus is still having an impact. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in Nazareth. He's not in Capernaum. He's not in Caesarea, Philippi. He's not in those places. He's beyond the Jordan, and people are going to see him. Many came to see him and were saying, while Joan performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. They're going, John came baptizing and preaching. And he was a pretty rough preacher. Talked about being a brood of vipers and who told you to repent and did all these things. And 
wore animal skins and ate locusts and honey. He's, he was probably one of those people that we would feel uncomfortable being in our church, unfortunately. As we look at the outside rather than the end. And they say, well, John didn't do any miracles. John didn't do any signs. He just baptized people. He just preached. But everything he said about Jesus, which was, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the whole world. Everything John said about Jesus was true. And therefore, many believed in him there. How sad. Jerusalem, the capital of God. The place where the temple resides. The place where the priests were. But instead of finding him there, they have to go beyond the Jordan to believe. Whatever church you may attend, it may even be this one. Don't let what other people do or don't do distract from who, who Jesus is. And just as we might think Jerusalem would be the place where many would come to faith, we see that it's not even in Israel. But you see, many came because they heard of the testimony of John and then came and saw who Jesus is. I encourage you to do the same. To travel a little bit outside your comfort zone. To truly discover who Jesus is. And if you look at him, his teachings and his work and his resurrection, I believe you will come to the conclusion if you do so honestly, that he and the Father are truly one. And all God's people said,